Welcome to Cancre, a home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And uh, we have an incredible interview lined up later today. It is the interview we were trying to get for about a couple of weeks there around poppers. Um, uh-huh. Later on, I do make another mistake. I, I spent half the show apologizing, I think. But I refer to poppers or ammonitrates as blood thinners. That that's not technically correct. I know it's a vasodilate. Uh, yeah, they're vaso- blood dilators. Uh, I know the word, and now that I've mispronounced it, it's flown out of my head. You know, like when you when you get somebody's name wrong, and then you try to remember what it is, and you can't remember what it is anymore, even though it's like your sibling or something. Mm. Now, actually, speaking of names, that does pivot nicely to one of the uh, Canadian stories I wanted to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. And that was, I am in love with the BC Human Rights Tribunal. They do oh. the sassiest of legal decisions. Yeah, actually, we've read, uh, we've read decisions from them before where it was clear that the, uh, the judge in question was throwing some shade and, mm-hmm. and wording it very politely, but you could tell. You could tell. So here's the situation. Um, cast your mind back to there was uh, somebody, a trans woman running for local office mm-hmm. and a renowned bigot. I mean, he had been in multiple court cases, including at the federal level for hate crimes. Um, oh, sorry, not hate crimes, uh, hate speech. I should clarify that. Um, anyway, but the panel members at the BC Human Rights Tribunal said, quite frankly and unequivocally, that being trans is not an item up for debate. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, we have, as a country, in law and in jurisprudence, moved on from people's trans identities being something that you can question and quiz and, you know, imply is not real or what have you. At that, this point, it is what it is. Move on. Mm-hmm. So that's the situation we find ourselves in. Now, there was a uh, young server uh, by Jesse. Uh, well, I say young, 32, slightly older than I am. Uh, but Jesse is non-binary and mm-hmm. uh, is a trans person mm-hmm. and goes by they, them pronouns. Uh, and in this restaurant, most of the staff are like, okay, yeah, cool. They, them pronouns, whatever, we'll deal with it. But the manager just was not on board. Mm-hmm. So um, a gentleman by the name of Brian Gobel just was not on the same page as uh, as these they, them pronouns. Even though Jesse asked nicely, can you refer to me as they, them? Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, however, referred to, preferred to refer to them as sweetheart, Oh, honey, pinky, uh, and of course, she, her. Okay. Um, well, anyways, there was a discussion where it was emphasized that didn't go anywhere. So there was a second discussion where Jesse was like, look, I'm they, them, you know, this manager setting a bad example for some of the other servers who are now chiming in and, and not uh, not using the preferred pronoun. Um, anyway, the uh, the owner of the restaurant then fired uh, Jesse, knowing uh, in the in the firing that they were coming on too strong, too fast, and were too militant. Okay. So 
yeah, they took the case to the Human Rights Court, um, as obviously they would, um, noting specifically Gobel's conduct towards them and the employer's response amounts to discrimination in employment based on the gender identity and gender expression in mm -hmm. violation of the British Columbia Human Rights Code. So that's from the tribunal. Um, they ordered them to pay uh, 30,000 in damages and implement a pronoun policy and training. Now, 30,000 is quite expensive to not say they or them. Yeah. Well, thing. so I mean, when I read this story, I was like, oh, the, the compelled speech group is going to pipe in on this. But then, but then there was a firing. And the moment you do that, you're now looking at labor courts and you're looking at, you know, undue termination. And what could have been a disagreement that may have needed some uh, outside entity to come in and sort of like adjudicate or, or, or be a, you know, more of a diplomatic approach of trying to talk them into something. Now it's like, well, now you're unjustly firing somebody and there is no version of any legal system where people are okay with that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those situations where it was like, you know, I personally disagree with refusing to use they, them pronouns. There are people who feel they have a case, whatever, but the moment you fire someone, you're now looking at something completely different. You're looking at labor violations. You're looking at, you know, uh, denying somebody the ability to sustain themselves, especially during COVID when work is weirdly, it, it's, it's the labor market's all weird right now. Mm. Uh, we're not, we're not an economic show, but I'm sure but you've heard elsewhere. I, I just want to come into that. You know, if, if Mr. Gobel really wanted, I think Brian Gobel is, is uh, sometimes he, him, but uh, if Gobel didn't want to say they, them, they could yeah. have just referred exclusively to Jesse as Jesse, yeah. you know what I mean? If, it, name, if yeah. it really gets your knickers in a twist yeah. to not use they, then yeah, yeah, yeah. don't and just use the darn name. And then, then you choosing what, what they should be is not appropriate. And frankly, as far as the tribunal is concerned, is not acceptable. And, and, and sweetheart, I don't know why, but for some reasons make me think of a uh, police academy. The awful 1980s movie filmed in Toronto and starring uh, Kim Basinger. So not Kim Basinger, Kim Cattrall. It could have been intergenerational disagreement on how to deal with something that turned into a clean cut legal issue. Well, we have an incredible interview coming up in just a few moments. But before we dive into that, I wanted to uh, do our first song. This is The Thrill of It by Nimkish. Nimkish is an incredible uh, indigenous musician out of Vancouver. We played a few of their tracks uh, in the recent past. And uh, this is, as I mentioned, The Thrill of It by Nimkish. And we will be back just after this. I just met you and I brought a problem. I think I love you if I'm being honest. But the crowd goes off and the pressure's on. So I hold my tongue. After party and it's kind of reckless. The way you look got me flexing yeah i check my hair got the compact here put that empty there for the thrill of it young wolf out late and i'm spinning hands on me make a scene on the internet only that goes one more for the thrill of it for the thrill of it for the thrill of it young wolf out late and i'm spinning i can't keep low key so i'm going in call me lexi for the thrill of it for the thrill of it what you wanna call it, but it ain't 
on a promise Take the red eye flight Just to stay one night Two or three more times You said that you want to run We could have all that we want Glitter, glamour, crush But you want, but you want something Young wolf out late and I'm spinning Hands on me, make a scene on me And I'm not gonna tattoos One more for the thrill of it For the thrill of it Welcome back to Can Queer Home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is still Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, we are excited to uh, be speaking to Len Tooley from the Community-Based Research Centre, the CBRC, based, I believe, in Vancouver. Um, you folks, your, your team have really been pumping out some amazing uh, national campaigns, and uh, we certainly took notice of your letter run letter writing campaign around poppers now before we get into the discussion i actually owe erin o'toole an apology and oh? i i never thought i would see the day um well i mean i knew i would see the day when i get something wrong i mean that's pretty pretty standard with the amount of things that i say um so essentially i really heavily uh, insinuated that um you know the conservatives who added the you know lifting the popper ban potentially in their latest uh, election campaign um was a bit odd being it was under the stephen harper government that uh, i thought the popper ban was introduced well mm -hmm. in preparation for this show i am willing to accept that i was wrong i think it was uh because of the nature of poppers i'm uh, amyl nitrates they actually got banned in 85 with the law that was introduced at that time however oh. nothing happened when they were banned until <laughs> stephen harper's government so i was technically wrong um although enforcement didn't really happen until the harper government uh hmm. came into play now then I give a bit of a, a whirlwind tour there through my um, sort of apology. Um, so why, first of all, what, what are poppers for our listeners and why would they need to be banned? Why, why would that happen? Yeah, um, great question. So I, I guess a little bit of background on poppers. Poppers um, were invented in the first half of the 20th century and it was chemist who invented them and basically what 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 he realized when he was sort of creating this chemical was that when he 
um, inhaled the fumes from the chemical, it lessened his chest pains, um, specifically his, his heart, like, um, because he had heart condition. Um, and who knows exactly how, but um, eventually sort of that, that medicine, um, uh, amyl nitrate, uh, became more and more common um, and started being used recreationally and socially, um, not just medically, but originally um, amyl nitrates were a treatment for, for angina and for, for um, heart attacks. They were they're an, an actual medication. Um, you know, um, who knows exactly how, but after probably a decade or two, um, people realized that it, it had uses not just for um, heart issues, but also uh, for uh, pleasure and enjoyment. Um, and so basically poppers are, are uh, amyl nitrates, or they're actually a family of, of, of chemicals, um, all nitrates. Uh, and the, it's, they come in a little bottle and they're a liquid. And when you inhale the fumes, um, it causes your blood vessels to dilate. Um, and that sort of leads to sort of a very short uh, sensation of euphoria and pleasure. Um, and it also helps relax smooth muscles. Um, and smooth muscle is the muscle in the rectum. And so uh, poppers are commonly used for in, in sort of as a sexual aid and to, to enhance sex. Um, but they've got a really sort of long history in, in queer culture um, for all, you know, being used in all sorts of contexts, like the dance floor, um, just like socially and recreationally. Um, so that's a little bit about what poppers do. The, the effect of poppers lasts for maybe a couple minutes. Um, and then totally wears away. They're one of the sort of like, you know, um, uh, less, you know, drugs that is less of a commitment to take when you when you have a little with poppers. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, looking into this, you know, poppers are, or amyl nitrates are considered to be a drug. But what I found interesting is uh, it's not considered to be a drug everywhere that some people have a, a definition where it has to cross the blood-brain barrier uh, and poppers don't necessarily do that. Yeah, I think that, you know, like a lot of the classification of nitrites is, depends on, on each sort of government, federal government and, the, and their sort of rules and regulations. Um, they, in Canada, they've definitely been classified as a prescription medication. And I think that's what happened in 1985. Um, requiring requiring a prescription to get them, um, but but you know there are you know there are people who uh, such as myself I guess that you know think that rather than classifying them as a prescription medication there might be value in them more like consumer products right so we have examples in Canada where um, there are sort of substances that are um, sold and available as consumer products not as a medicine. Right? Um, the most common examples would be t uh, cannabis, tobacco, alcohol. Um, so yeah, like this is one of the big questions of, around poppers right now. Classification and which regulatory. I mean, what are the challenges behind that? Um, getting the classification just right, because when uh, marijuana was deregulated, for example, it was no longer considered a candidate for prescription and getting well some insurance companies may cover uh, medical marijuana but because it's now over the counter it's, it's a lot of places are starting to ease up on how they deal with marijuana in that sense and i mean relaxing smooth muscle is a a, a very important thing you can do because like uh, constriction of smooth muscle is the 
the, the underlying basis of an asthma attack, for example. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of potential uh, medical uses for something like this, especially most of them are acute as well. They're emergency uses. They're not necessarily just daily use. You take it in the morning and you're fine all day. Like you keep it with you in, in case of a, an emergency. Not that I'm saying you should huff poppers if you're having an asthma attack, but I'm saying that I, I'm sure there's a use for it along those lines. But depending on how you classify it, depending on how you regulate it, you could be affecting how um, how it's treated as a drug and, and people with lesser means or people who are on um, you know socialized health care, their ability to access it may change according to the classification, which is not an insurmountable challenge, but definitely something to bear in mind. For sure, yeah, you know it's it's helpful to sort of I, I think you know it almost to look at the um, sort of what changed in 2013 I think understand sort of, what's what's happened so um luke as you mentioned um yeah poppers have technically always been considered a prescription medication and not legal to sell um without a prescription now that was never like as you said that was never really enforced in canada um and that's basically the context right now they they have similar rules but they don't enforce the rules um and so you know up until the you know the early 2010s you'd be able to get poppers at you know, adult novelty stores, sex shops, um, and they were relatively accessible. And you know, generally speaking, you you know, they were there was uh, commercial pressure to you know with branding and um, sort of some kind of quality control and assurance, um, even if it wasn't tight regulation by the government. Uh, and they were sold as you know to get out sort of around the rules. They were sold as um, you know, they were labeled as other things. So they were labeled leather cleaner or video head cleaner, or room aromatizer. Um, but, you know, it was sort of one of those, um, you know, sort of like quasi legal um, situations where there was like, there probably wasn't that many, were many, that many harms being associated with poppers. Um, and so there was never really any enforcement. So it's, we're not exact, exactly sure what happened in 2013. Um, in terms of like to uh, spur the change in the enforcement of the rule. Um, I, we have had some conversations with people at Health Canada um, and get, that's given us a little bit of a sense that it may have had to do with um, a coroner's inquest. Um, so the coroner was was inquiring to, the, to Health Canada about whether, like whether poppers could, you know, could be fatal, what the um, potential dangers of it were. And m to my understanding, that sort of, like led to this sort of domino effect um, at in sort of the regulatory division of Health Canada. And it set off all of these sort of um, procedural flags that caused the, the department to look into poppers, to do some research, and then, and then decide that they were going to remove them from the market. Um, and so in, in 2013, basically what, what Health Canada did is they just sent in a bunch of, uh, you know, um, enforcers uh, to sex shops all across the country, took their poppers, threatened them with uh, fines and jail time if they sold them. And immediately, like almost overnight, poppers became something that you had to either buy from drug dealers or um, bring into the country when you visited abroad or try to um, sort of order online and mail in. Um, so the, yeah, like the policy never like changed. The law didn't change around poppers. Really what changed is the enforcement of it. Um, and, you know, so, so we got into the situation where the government is, has this whole mechanism, this whole machine um, that, is, that is 
regularly going into sex shops, like trying to, you know, making sure that they're not selling poppers, that they sell poppers, taking the poppers. Um, they have actually have a website where they list all of the shops that they've um, that they've confiscated poppers from. Um, and it's just this sort of ongoing process that that you know we at CBRC and a few of our organizational partners are trying to figure out if, if we can stop it or turn it around or you know probably more likely just sort of um, uh, um, encourage enough political pressure for the government to actually change the way that they regulate poppers. So yeah, the the question of the, of a drug is is complicated. Also in Canada, because like you know even if um, there are some countries that do allow poppers to be purchased if you have a prescription, which to me is sort of an unnecessary barrier, right? Like, you know, I don't necessarily want to or should don't think I need to talk to my doctor about wanting to buy poppers. But in some countries, you can get prescription. The challenge in those countries is that, that there still are no poppers company manufacturers who've gone through the regulatory process. Mm -hmm. And so for folks in those countries without a prescription, what they have to do is import their poppers from an online pharmacy. That won't work in Canada um, because in, in Canada we have a, like a sort of blanket rule that people like individuals are not allowed to import prescription medications for personal use, period. So we are in this sort of particular like sort of limbo in Canada where they, you know technically they might be considered um, a prescription medication. Even if you could get a prescription, there's just absolutely no way to access them, even, even you know, though that there may be in other countries like Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of recap here to make sure I, I fully understand. Um, so there's a potential that these can be prescribed, but none of the suppliers have been authorized, essentially. So we know there's a demand because uh, from what I can see out of your various surveys in the last 10 years or so, um, despite Health Canada's best efforts, the demand in the community has gone a grand total of almost nowhere. Like it, it is still there, maybe not to the same degree. I think there's been a, a slowly, uh, a gradual sort of decline, um, but the demand is is still there and it's still ubiquitous in queer culture, um, the use of poppers. Now, I don't, I mean, I think maybe getting a prescription makes a little sense to me. Um, as they are blood thinners, um, at the very least, people should notify the doctor if they have any conditions where, you know, they should be aware of the fact that that you, you know, periodically take a, a half of a blood thinner. Um, I think that might be important information to, to notify. Likewise, but I mean, I think this is safety. You don't need the prescription for, um, you know, one of those electric wand uh, sex toys. You know, you don't need to be prescribed for one of those. But if you do that around your heart and you've got a faulty ticker, equally not a great idea. So, I mean, I think there's a certain degree of, I don't know, where you draw the line between hand-holding and people's own personal responsibility for their health, I think that's an interesting discussion to, to draw. Um, it's also worth noting the, uh, the side effects of popper use. Because I, I looked it up before this because I was I had heard some things um, and it seems that it, it's kind of in the same category as alcohol consumption. So if you go a little bit too hard on the poppers, you can get some nausea and vomiting. And that will usually be the sign of, oh, hold up, stop doing that for a while. And then your system will clear it out naturally. Don't drink the stuff, but it says all over every bottle, don't ingest. Uh, and it's also kind of known in the community, don't drink the stuff. And it's only under very extreme circumstances that I've ever heard of anyone getting sick. Like I did hear 
sort of one of those like friend of a friend stories where they went to a quote unquote house party where they had like one of those uh, uh, perfume diffusers where they filled it with poppers. The whole room would be filled with popper fumes and everybody started vomiting everywhere. But that's like the equivalent of doing like 15 shots of vodka in a row just to prove that you're a man. Like it's it's a dumb idea and you can't stop people from going too hard or doing dumb ideas because that's not using it as described. So it's one of those situations where like generally speaking, regular use will inform you if you've done it too much I mean, and then I, your system will clear it out naturally. I don't know if they were maybe necessarily too stupid because the box may have been labeled as room orderizer and they may be <laughs> literally trying to, to orderize the room. Although if anyone's ever smelled poppers, I don't know why you would choose to orderize a whole room um, with it. It's not great. But one thing that jumps out at me, and I think we you, you sort of leaned a little bit towards this, Len, um, is the safe supply. You know, we know there's demand. Mm. Health Canada seems to be saying it can be prescribed, although there's no supply. And I want to just sort of, we're talking about amyl nitrates, but I want to mm -hmm. zoom in on isopropyl nitrate, which is the very particular strain or, or, or flavor of, of uh, poppers that is really guilty of causing the most problems. Um, how do you think we can get that out of the supply um, and just make this practice much, much safer, uh, Len? Yeah, well, so many um, pieces. Just just one little correction. Poppers don't, are not blood thinners. They, what they do is they actually just like lead to your um, blood vessels uh, dilating. So they so it's not quite the same as having an effect on like the consistency of your blood, but um, but they do have a physiological effect for sure, right? And I, I mean, I think one thing to note generally is that poppers are like any drug or medicine that we use, right? There are safe and appropriate ways of using it, poppers, and then there are ways that you shouldn't. Like, don't drink your poppers, right? Like, don't put them into a spray bottle and spray them around a room <laughs> at a party. Uh, you know, and, and so one of the challenges right now in the current context is because of the sort of like um, this sort of illicit um, veil that has been put over poppers and popper sales, um, that actually, you know, I think prevents a lot of people from getting the correct information from talking to their healthcare providers. Um, you know, there really isn't a lot of very accessible information about safe use. Um, and so, you know, I think, it, you know, generally poppers speak to a larger issue of like, um, of drug prohibition in general, right? Which um, I think it's pretty safe to say that when you um, make something illegal, like make a drug illegal, chances are that's going to increase the harms that are associated with it rather than decrease them. And that's, you know, I, I think in arguably what we've seen with poppers. So isopropyl nitrate is, a, is an interesting um, example. I actually have a personal story related to it. This is what got me into poppers when I first started um, uh, when I was working sort of back at a national HIV organization about uh, probably about 10 years ago now, I had been, um, you know, I had a, had a, been dating someone who just loved his poppers. Like, you know, if we were going to make out, we were going to go get the poppers bottle kind of thing. So we were doing a lot of poppers at the time. Um, I, and, and sort of like separately, um, I had noticed that my vision was, was getting sort of progressively worse and worse. Like the like words were blurry. It was harder for me to, getting hard for me to read. So I started going to um, all sorts of um, like retinal specialists and I, I had a vegetable dye injected into me and, you know, special scans taken in my eyes. Eventually they told me that my retinas were atrophying and 
they couldn't say why they didn't know exactly what was going on just that that yes it was likely that i was going to lose my vision at this time i didn't you know i had no idea what was going on it was a few months later when i was just sort of having to be reading an article about poppers which um sort of one of those things that i love to hate because often they're very sensationalistic and um Sort of scaremongering so i was getting ready to sort of dive in and, and tear it up but uh this i think it was like the third paragraph mentioned this one doctor who published a case study of these patients that she had who are regular poppers users who had um this form of uh retinal um, atrophy and it was the exact same like sort of description that i had been experiencing and then when i looked up the article that they actually had pictures of their retinas and they were exactly the same as the the scans that i had been shown of mine so eventually I put together that basically what had happened was at that point in time, because of the ban, there was only one shop in Toronto that I could get poppers from. And I was getting the same poppers all of the time. You know, I, I didn't know at the time that isopropyl nitrate was missing. Um, and I realized that it was those poppers that had, was, were leading to my sort of my decreasing vision. So for me, this story actually worked out pretty well. I, you know, drastically cut down my, my poppers use. Um, and and my vision actually pretty much is totally returned. So I'm not sure if like if that's the standard with like sort of progression. Um, but you know, again, it, it took it, it took a lot of use of poppers to to get sort of vision loss. Now, when you when you ask though about like what can we do about this, I mean, the first thing is just let people know, right? Um, that isopropyl nitrate is one that you might not want to go too hard on too regularly. Um, Beyond that, you know, it's there's really not much that is it, we can do unless the government sort of steps in and takes a different approach, right? Right now, their approach is all poppers are bad, take away all poppers, um, and and we know that there definitely are some formulations that that have slightly, you know, more chances of, of leading to some secondary health outcomes. But I think it's also worth noting that like that, you know, that very rare health outcome is pretty much like the like the worst health outcome that we really see from poppers. There's sort of like, there's some temporary side effects. Sometimes people get headaches. You can get poppers burn if you spill it on your skin, which is it just sort of like gets red. Um, but, you know, generally like considering how much poppers have been used and for how many decades, um, the the harms associated with poppers are, are very, very minimal. You know, it, when you compare them to alcohol, cannabis, tobacco, really it's, it's not even a comparison. Um, so yeah, so like right now, that's the challenge is people just don't know what they're getting. If they go, they might be going to their drug dealer, they might be going to a shop. Often the, bo the bottles that you get these days, they come in shrink wraps, which are just obviously not the actual poppers brand that they're shrink wrapped as. And so there's right now, there's no regulation. There's no quality control. We just don't know what we're getting. And, and that's really, you know, what has led CBRC to sort of want to seek a policy change with the government because there's a better way of doing this than just stealing all the poppers from the sex shops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I'm sure the Health Canada enforcers would would not like being uh, described as stealing all the poppers from the sex shops. Um, but, you know, I, I've had a bone to pick with Health Canada and uh, for, for a while, um, in particular, the I don't know, I and maybe I'm just a bit jaded over the whole blood ban thing. I don't know how realistic um, any kind of forward movement is, but I think we're in a really interesting position. This is probably the first time that most Canadians have ever heard about poppers because Aaron O'Toole put it into his uh, 
into his his platform at the most recent election. Um, and then likewise, the NDP and the Liberals were also jumping straight on board saying, yes, yes, let's get Health Canada to review it and uh, figure out a path forward. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the Liberals were in power for eight years, supposedly instructing Health Canada to deal with the blood ban. Um, but then, uh, you know, Canadian Blood Service is saying that it's all Health Canada's fault. They're saying it's Canadian Blood Service's fault. I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded and I don't have a lot of faith in Health Canada actually moving forward and opening up anything. I think uh, cannabis was a huge, huge, um, you know, release of power for them. Um, what about you, Sebastian? Am I just a jaded old queen here and I don't have any faith in the system? I mean... Whether we're talking about poppers or not, the answer is yes. But with regards to <laughs> Health Canada, um, something that actually does make me optimistic is that over the past maybe 10 or so years, we've had many guests come on here from many different fields talking about how they're seeing a shift towards a harm reduction approach. And if like this is a perfect case for a harm reduction approach, because if there are many classes and types of poppers, and some of them are just about harmless unless you're being a fool with them and others are potentially harmful even if you're using them appropriately all you have to do is deregulate the almost harmless ones and then everything else will become too much of a bother to get and the the market will fall out on them like this is a you know you can get like this wonderful economic model of choice aversion through a harm reduction blah 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 and there have been moves towards that kind of thing over the past few years for a whole bunch of different issues so i think i think it's just an issue of framing it in a constructive manner that would make even you know you're going to have people who are saying if it could potentially make you blind if you get the wrong thing then maybe don't do any of them at all ever which doesn't you know prohibition doesn't really work um so the the alternate approach is well you know let's let's engage market forces to make the harmless stuff easy peasy you could pick it up and then the other stuff that is going to make you go blind anyway harder harder to get so i think it's it's an issue of of choosing your battles and i think that the the fact that we are seeing a lot more discussion around the topic of harm reduction, especially with regards to uh, drug use, including medication, uh, a lot of the stuff with regards to uh, like sexual assault prevention, stuff like that. Um, I, I think the rise of the harm reduction narrative uh, it makes me a little bit more optimistic. Whether or not it's gotten to the core of Health Canada yet, or whether it's just all the peripheral people that we keep interviewing, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I would give it at most a 20 year timeline, uh, probably realistically more like five to seven. Yeah. That would I, be my bet. If I, I, if I were a betting man. <laughs> I, I think uh, maybe it'll move a bit quicker. I, I, I imagine if we go another, you know, government with nothing moving, people won't be impressed. One of the challenges with sort of thinking about whether we should sort of focus our attention on Health Canada or not is that right now, you know, Health Canada works based on um, legislation, right? There are rules and policies that are set in place and they follow them. So it's not necessarily Health Canada that can change the rules um, in the way that, that we need in order to ensure a safe supply, which is sort of, you know, one of the main reasons that we initiated this letter writing campaign at CBRC, um, uh, where people can go to our website, sort of type in their address and their name and the website will send their MP and the Minister of Health a letter about uh, the poppers ban. Um, 
because I, I really think that, that this is something that is going to need political will and political action in order to actually change. Um, the, I think I really, you know, I can't fault the people at Health Canada for doing their jobs and sort of implementing the policies that they're, that they're hired um, to implement. Uh, but, uh, you know, so we're, we're, we still need to figure out exactly where, what levers need to be pulled to sort of change the, um, the regulatory situation and make it a little bit more sort of cognizant of the actual reality, right, which is lots of people are still using poppers, they're just buying them from illicit sources, and we don't know what they don't know what they're getting. You know, poppers have a real function in in queer sex, in, in social, like queer social life, brought more broadly as well. Um, but in, in particular, you know, when it comes to bottoming, poppers really, really facilitate. I was, uh, um, it, when I lived in Toronto for 10 years, I was an HIV tester and I did outreach HIV testing in bathhouses. And, you know, one of the things that I really sort of came to notice is when, when guys would come into the room to sort of um, scope out getting testing, often they'd have their, their key to their room um, and a bottle of poppers that they put down on the counter, right? And even folks who, who otherwise don't use any substances, don't use drugs, maybe don't even drink, um, poppers sort of have a special category in place, right, um, in in their lives, and that is because they are they are really an important sort of sexual aid and enhancement. Like they're it's both, right? Um, I, it's a, Viagra is a really easy comparison to make, right? Um, you know, it's a similar, it's very similar in terms of facilitating the kind of sex that people want to have. Um, and in, in a very similar way, poppers do the same thing, except in, rather than, you know, being more like facilitating insertive sex, they facilitate receptive sex, right, which is something that still has some stigma associated with it in, in sort of broader culture. And so, you know, it's not necessarily fully surprising that, that this issue hasn't come fully, fully come to light yet. Um, but yeah, they, they, they do, they really, there is no other substitute for poppers when it comes to bottoming and facilitating bottoming. Yeah, there's only oh so much that uh, wishful thinking and lube can get you. I think there's sometimes you need you need a little bit more than that. Well, um, I, I I am I am glad to see the political parties uh, in the past election um, bringing this up. When we line up the politicians once they're all back in Ottawa, um, we will certainly be putting this to question to them and and keeping folks up to date. Did you have any closing questions for Len, uh, Sebastian? Uh, no, um, not really. Actually, I do have one closing question. Have uh, have you looked into what the response is in Spain? Because they're kind of the the flagship of uh, letting soft things go through so that hard things are less. I think appealing. you're referring to Portugal. Portugal? Yeah. Wait. Yes. They, they famously yes, de uh, decriminalized all drugs. I think well, they didn't briefly. decriminalize all drugs. They decriminalized most drugs. So, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm. I. I. My focus generally has been on the Canadian context so far. Like one of the things. Fair enough. That, yep. One of the things that I've learned looking at the other countries is that really each context is is very unique and specific. And you know, and it is helpful to you know compare other like regulatory contexts to see what possibilities there are in the world. Um. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not too familiar familiar with. Um, how poppers are addressed in Portugal, but that that would be, you know, one good reason to take a trip to Portugal and see. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to 
sincerely thank you and uh, again apologize for our, our scheduling mishaps uh, earlier we we uh, people may have noticed uh, us mentioning it last week on the show um excellent well if uh, if anything does come up in terms of uh, legislative or health canada changes we will be on the phone to you again to get your reaction uh, but at this time i want to thank you so much for speaking with us and we will be back just Bad taste in my mouth, you left it there I gave all my love, you gave mixed messages Threw the bottle away, hope it sinks real deep I'm over restless nights, can't sleep, can't eat But mama said these four walls talk more than you know So let's get down before the world
But your play was wrong Play was wrong You like to take it all You love sticking a toe Now I'm here to collect Pay me my debt I take cash or check That's just the way Welcome back to Cancre, a home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And that was Human by Little Red Fox, one of the uh, first tracks by uh, uh, Little Red Fox, who is a multi-instrumentalist, I believe, based out of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we followed that with another little short song by Tissa Rahim called Lift a Finger. Uh, Tisa Rahim is a Persian uh, background and uh, I believe is based out of, I want to say Winnipeg. Um, nope, Vancouver. Okay, nope. <laughs> there we go. Either way. Anyway, these were two little short tracks to pull us out of the interview. Uh, thank you, Len, for sharing your expertise and knowledge about um, poppers with us. Yeah, that was a good, you that was a good interview. A bit of an update, though, I, I feel. Completely randomly, I was looking through. Uh, well, actually, I was just doing some online reading, and I found an article. I wasn't even looking for this, but it was looking at the history of the medical applications of amyl nitrate. Well, actually, they, they call them uh, alkaloid nitrates. So it would have been like the entire class, uh, including a few other things that we would not call poppers, but like that general category. And they said that in the late Victorian, early Edwardian period, one of the medical applications was for relieving menstrual cramps because it does uh, you know, relax the muscles and dilate the blood vessels. A lot of the cramps have to do with the sort of uterine muscles just like seizing up and being like, nope, nope, nope. And so getting something in there that can relax it. Uh, and even if it only lasts about five minutes, I'm sure, like I've, I've known women who had to take uh, mild opiates because their cramps are bad. I, I'm sure that if they could just huff some poppers and get relief for 20 minutes, I'm sure they would have been just delighted. Um, I don't know if this is a normal application now, but it's kind of interesting to look at the history of medicine. Quite often the, the history of medicine is history because we found something better, mm -hmm. something that lasts longer than 20 minutes. But it, it's still interesting that, that there were historical medical applications for this that were considered effective at the time. 
Now, before we are sort of uh, running towards the end of our hour here, um, I did want to note a couple of things. First of all, some big news that uh, we don't doesn't require amount of depth, but also is is important for us to to mention. Uh, in Switzerland, we had mentioned a few times that they were voting on introducing same-sex marriage. Yes. They overwhelmingly, 64% of people voting in favor of same-sex marriage. That's um, almost a yeah. super majority. It won the majority in all 26 of the country's cantons, which is uh, uh, essentially the municipal districts. Yeah, but it almost got a super majority, a two-thirds majority. Which and is incredible. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I love super majorities because it, it sort of prevents the, what was it called? The, the tyranny of the majority. There was a, it's old American politics talking about how voting can sometimes be bad. And that's why you need adults in government to actually talk about stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, two thirds majority, that's strong. That's really good. That's, yeah, I'm into that. I think Absolutely. we need two thirds majorities more often. And they had a high turnout as well. It wasn't like two thirds majority of 11% of the, the population showing up. So that, that's, that's also good. Well, we also were keeping people up to date with um, the bit of a battle of wills between the European Commission and um, homophobic municipalities in Poland, Poland? Yeah. Uh, particularly the municipalities who have de self-declared themselves LGBT free zones, mm -hmm. uh, not particularly welcoming to lesbians, gay, bi or trans folks. Mm -hmm. um, now, the European Commission says anyone in Europe, you know, is free to go and live and, and exceed anywhere in Europe, mm -hmm. which does mean that there might be gay people in your town, especially mm -hmm. if you want to take all of our money. Yes. So there was a, a pretty firm threat on um, funding being pulled. Well, it seems I'm not going to say that three uh, districts in Poland saw the light, but maybe they saw the euros uh -huh. um, leaving their bank accounts because at least three of them this past week or so have lifted their self-declared declarations of being free of the LGBT community mm -hmm. um, and are now... I'm not going to go so far as to say welcoming, but they're now less actively hostile. So yes. that's a step in the right direction. I mean, people look down their nose at incrementalism, but sometimes it is the only way. And I think yeah. incrementalism is the way to, to approach, you know, LGBT human rights in Poland. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I, I something more expedient would be better, but this it is what it is. Now, incrementalism that may not end well is, um, I want to touch on China and Russia just briefly. Oh. Um, Russia is looking at doing a number of things. And some people may be aware that uh, I think it's uh, Alexei Navalny, who is the opposition leader, who the Russians have arrested and have in jail currently. Um, but they're looking at potentially declaring a bunch of his supporters and groups as extremists. Okay. Well, among the list of things that the Russian state is looking into declaring extremist ideologies, bearing in mind, if you're declared an extremist ideology, it is much easier for the Russian state to round people up and arrest them mm -hmm. um, if their ideology is extremist. Yes. So the, the, the small step of declaring something extremist opens up uh, a bit of a floodgate of further uh, persecution down the line. Well, some of the things that um, are considered extremists are obviously pro-LGBT groups or just mm -hmm. being LGBT in general will yes. now be considered extreme in Russia. 
um, a radical feminism would be considered extreme and child-free groups. So groups that aren't necessarily pro having all of the babies also now an extreme idea. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, furries also made it to the list <laughs> of being extreme because nothing quite says terrorism like dressing up as a fox. Well, so, yeah. I mean, there was the famous Seattle uh, fur furry convention, but that, that was a one-off moment of, uh, that, that was extremism, but that was a one-off. <laughs> if you know your internet history, then yeah, the, the, what was it called? Fur, Rainforest, I think, 2014 or something like that. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's kind of goofy. Um, well, the thing they, is, if they, they haven't say... introduced the law yet, oh, okay. apparently it is the chairman for the Commission for the Protection of Children yeah. um, and the Communications Regulator has said that these are among things that he would like to see designated extremist. Um, but this is a very high-ranking official talking about it, so it is a worrying, uh, worrying point. Sorry, what were you going to say, Sam? Oh, nope, that's it. No. All right. I mean, other than uh, if it doesn't get the approval of uh, Putin, the Orthodox Church, and the oligarchs, it, nobody's going to care. Uh, it's a weird system over there. So, I mean, if it's if it's one minister, actually, no, if everybody just shrugs their shoulders, which is probably what's going to happen, but there's probably a lot more indifference. Uh, but indifference is just as bad if you get to the same end point. Um, I don't know. It's I, I worry it's probably going to happen. The last thing I uh, wanted to share, which is also kind of worrying, according to the South China Morning Post, the Cyberspace Administration of China, the CAC, the, their internet watchdog, um, has essentially said that uh, they are going to be policing video games. They have decided yes. that video games are a source of education for children mm -hmm. and therefore should teach the correct moral values and accurate history. Mm -hmm. This means no more playing evil characters. And if a character isn't immediately visible as either typically male or typically female, uh, they are effectively banned. Okay. Looking at banning effeminate males and banning established queer relationships and characters that have no clear gender. Okay. So that will impact a lot of video games um, and also the progress. Of, oh, a lot of US video games trying to enter that market. So it's well, really interesting to see what happens. That means Kirby is banned. Like you, you can't play any, you couldn't, well, Spyro maybe because the voice actor's got a male voice, but like so many classic games where it's just like a little dude, gender ambiguous with a hat and you go around picking up gems and attacking groundworms or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, old games, like that. most of them have no clear gender. I mean, lemmings, are they, are they morally corrupt? I mean, <laughs> worms, they blow things up, who knows? All right, well, we have run out of time. We're playing out with Andrea Romolo's Italian Summer. This was actually um, written and recorded during the pandemic. It really does speak to that uh, pandemic uh, sort of uh, blasé feeling that I think everybody is feeling. Um, We'll keep an eye on the world and, and LGBTQ rights moving forward. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.
been quite a year And it's not over yet Cold and lonely kind of hell I've been weak and weepy Desperate for a change I know my limits well Shoulder 